they're talking to me about the MTG drama stuff mm-hmm. and why MTG community is like so soft. And I was like, I, I think a lot of people just focus so much on the softer hardness of the community when they could be focusing on literally anything else. <laughs> like it just doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, there's something, there's certainly, like, a little bit of weirdness there. Like, responding to the Tron tweet and being, like, outraged about it is, like, way out of line and, like, really fucking silly. But responding to the Tien thing, I like, I don't think it's crazy to be, like, that was a rude thing you said to your opponent. I would, like, not be happy if you did that to me. Like, that's not soft. Oh, no, but, like, I, I think... For that specific, not not that example, but just like people focusing on why the community is the level that it is, is just like such a waste of time. Oh, yeah, the you should have made better life decisions thing. It's entirely contextual whether that's a dick thing oh, to yeah. say to somebody. What is the relationship between the two? What's the like tone at the table? What's been the rapport between them for the match? Like how serious is the person about like they really need to get home? Uh, like, like it's totally contextual there's no way to tell from the language of a tweet like who's the dick there or if he's being a dick the like smugly tweeting it out though is really a weird look and then the quote yeah. tweets being like heroic are really super weird looks yeah it's really hard for me to be in either of these players shoes mm-hmm. to be honest because i would never like, if I'm driving that far to go to a match tournament, I'm just going to play You obviously want to play your matches. <laughs> or, if I get really tired and I'm just done, I'll ask for a split, and they'll say no, and I'll be like, all right, I'm going home. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> like, it's that simple to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Right. And then in Tien's shoes, if, they're like, if they keep saying things, I would just say, I, I want to play. You know? <laughs> like, right. it, it's that simple to me. I would just never, like, be snarky to my opponent. Not that early in the game. I just try to treat people the way I would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that's worked pretty well for me. I mean, yeah, it's not complicated. So, you know... It does require a base level of intelligence and empathy to, like, pull off applying that rule properly, though. And some people I mean, don't yeah. have that capacity. I'm more forgiving of people who are trying it honestly mm-hmm. than uh, just not caring about anyone else. Like, sometimes you fall into... You don't always act up to your own ideal standards, you know? I'm sure not every single person has ever walked away from a match of Magic with me and been like, boy, that guy was fantastic. You know, my ideal world involves less of me winning at Magic tournaments and more of people walking away from their matches with me being like, I had a really great time playing Magic against that guy. And I don't know how much I have pulled that off in the past. I think a decent amount of the time, but sometimes, especially like... It's easy to get focused on winning and losing and variance and stuff, and you'd fuck up the being a good human to the person across the table from you. And I think that hopefully, in my return to paper magic, I I can like refocus on that a little more strongly. I've always been pretty good at that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I've also had multiple people try to fight me at a tournament. <laughs> so you know, I mean, you win some, you lose some. You've cast more ensnaring bridges than the average bear, so. It's true. I do like some, uh, I always put myself in positions where I always know more than my opponent. Mm-hmm. Just like with rules interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have a tendency to act superior about it uh. if I'm not being careful. 
Yeah. That's actually one thing that I believe I'm pretty good at is maybe even if it's not true, if I know a rules interaction and my opponent is like clearly getting it wrong in a tournament, like I will allow them to make the plays into get like if I know they're getting it wrong, like I, I mean, I'm going to play the game as hard as I can. But when it comes down to it and it's like, no, it actually doesn't work that way. The most common example of this is the graph diggers cage living end example. So my opponent will play as though they're safe. At some point, I living end, like as I'm casting the living end, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a super unintuitive rules interaction. I didn't know it at first, and I really only know it because I play this deck. This is what happens with the cage. Like, please call a judge if you're not sure. I I don't mind it at all. Like, and that's usually like I kind of have a script for that because I genuinely don't want my opponents to feel bad for missing a thing that everybody misses the first time. Uh, and I have kind of like. I don't know, I, I generally have that approach when I understand a rules interaction better than somebody. That one I, I have like built in kind of inherently somehow, but definitely sometimes I get too invested in the outcome of a match and get less. Every opponent is a potential friend, and that's probably that's way more important generally, and if you lose sight of that, that's for me, that's kind of a bummer. I, I'm so much better at not distancing myself from the outcome of a match because mm-hmm. the outcome is like i want to win but it's not a big deal like i never really get caught up in trying to win mm-hmm. but i do get caught up in trying to be right yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's danger that's the danger for me yeah i mean and it's all the same thing like we all have our thing that we want to be successful at and so if if you're not laser focused on trying to be successful at being friendly sometimes you drop that one a little bit too far and i want to not do that i think we just nailed topic one we're we're doing it hey everyone Welcome to episode 200 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Maybe I'll put in like an air horn or something there. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. They have to overlap, of course, Mm -hmm. as air horns do. Amazing. We made it. Episode 200. Oh, did you know what, do you remember what episode 100 was? I didn't even look it up. I don't remember. If it was a Modern Horizons show, then... It's the Modern Horizons show. Yeah, great. It was the episode right after 99, of course, mm-hmm. where <laughs> I was... Tell me more. I <laughs> I was on episode 99 as a guest mm-hmm. discussing how good all the Modern Horizons cards were from the first Modern Horizons. Yeah. Boy, yeah. 100 episodes since the last Modern Horizons. It still feels like recent, but... Modern really has been defined by Modern Horizons for a sizable portion of us playing Modern at this point. See, it feels like I saw a timeline of dominant cards and decks in Modern from Horizons forward. Mm -hmm. And Horizons has been a huge impact on the format. But like the marquee cards of Modern have been Hogak, which was Modern Horizons 2, or 1. Then Oko for a while. Then Uro forever. And we're just getting off Uro, like, a couple months ago. <laughs> yep, that's true. I mean, the Horizons cards have been defining in a lot of meaningful ways, though. Like, Oh, yeah, they're very good. Yeah. And uh, I think 
we got some of those in Modern Horizons 2 as well. We talked about them on the last couple of episodes, certainly, but now we're really seeing them in action. And today we're just going to go over lists pretty much from this weekend's challenges. Things have developed a little bit more since the challenges before. People have a little bit better access to cards. Maybe not. I mean, that's one thing that I think we need to keep in mind is that people still may not be able to get all the Urza sagas that they want to play in the challenges and stuff. So that might influence some of these numbers. But we got some data. We got some things to work with. I don't want to spend too much time on like data or metagame looking at or anything like that. I pretty much just want to talk about lists. And this is also just the honeymoon phase of magic. One of the questions that I asked for uh, in our discord, someone was like, is this the best modern it's ever been? Spoiler alert, we're not answering that question, really. Well, the the two weeks after a Modern Horizons set comes out is always going to be the best that Modern has ever been. Yeah, even the first Modern Horizons, it took a couple of weeks before people realized Hogak was completely busted. And the best part about after Hogak, excuse me, Bridge from Below was banned. Mm -hmm. The week after that, everyone still was playing with all the cool Modern Horizons cards, forgetting that Hogak was still completely busted. We were pretending Hogak wasn't completely busted. I didn't play Hogak that weekend. Well, I didn't either. I played an Urza deck, which is actually very good. Mm-hmm. Tournament was Philadelphia, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we played a modern tournament. I played against zero Hogax. There's no Hogax in the entire room, uh, except for one person. And they were just, it was Oliver. And he's just like quietly over here, just perfecting the new Hogak, which we realized on Sunday was a monster and still in the format. Yeah, no, I remember, like, I played Phoenix, which was playable even with Hogak around and stuff, but still, Bridge got banned, and then I remember watching him playing Hogak and being like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> and it just, the just... best part about that was that I look around the room of hundreds of people, mm-hmm. no one is playing Hogak, nope. no one at all. <laughs> <sighs> dumb, we were dumb. But yeah, Modern Horizons 2, uh, every time a Modern Horizons set comes out, especially the, the powerful ones, which are all of them, mm-hmm. it's just excellent. I, It's kind of annoying because the price of cards means you have to like buy a bunch of new stuff to compete. Yeah. But since the alternative to that was just playing Prowess and Heliod for months, <laughs> uh, I'm actually pretty happy with it. I mean, there, there's a bunch of new cards in the set. There was some churn to that meta, but it was getting to be pretty boring i uh, this was a really necessary i mean they stripped so many of the powerful cards out of the format with the bands and then at some point you know the meta developed there were a couple of good things you could be doing and then you're just kind of cycling through those things for a while and uh, we needed an injection of powerful exciting cards in order to make modern back into like what we understand as the point of the modern format i think how do you want to tackle talking about decks? You want to talk about like cards that are standing out and go into decks using those cards? Or you just want to go by challenge by challenge? Yeah, I mean, so I've got results from these challenges listed here. Saturday and Sunday challenge. Pretty significant differences between the makeup of the top 32 decks in each of these. And not just like, oh, these decks are different, but like the types of decks that are succeeding between one day and the other are pretty significantly different. I doubt that the metagames were like fundamentally super, super different 
from one day to the next. I think it's mostly just that a lot of the decks are pretty good. A lot of the decks are doing kind of busted stuff. None of the versions are built 100% properly yet, and variance is just going to kind of give us different results until the stuff is all figured out. One of the things I liked about the first week of Modern Horizons is that absolutely no one played uh, Blue Red Prowess. Mm -hmm. just, it just stopped existing for a little bit there. Yep. Because everyone's playing all the new cards. Mm -hmm. And so then people started putting Lava Dartable creatures back in their decks. Yep. <laughs> and then Prowess comes back and just Lava Darts them. Yep. And it didn't, like, crush or anything, but it has a couple of results in both of these challenges. And, like, the deck is still completely fine and maybe even one of the best decks. Like, there's just no reason that it isn't. It's very powerful. It's very consistent. And all of the cards are good. So. Yep, it's just a strong, solid strategy. Mm -hmm. it, it didn't lose anything other than, like, format changes. But I think that's actually an addition because now you can play a lot more variety. And if people are... I always talk about like stretching out slots and stuff, but paralysis really refined shell aggressively. And when people are stretching to like include different matchups, they don't really have to focus that much on like hating prowess or sideboard cards out. Mm -hmm. So you see less hate dedicated towards that. And prowess is one of those decks that just snaps up on it, starts killing everyone. Yeah. And in particular, like the way that it's attacking a lot of the things that you get drawn to and you're like, Ooh, let me build a deck around this. Like, that's naturally pretty bad against the game plan of Is It Prowess. Even the most powerful card from Modern Horizons 2, and probably the most powerful card in Modern, Urza Saga, playing this land that makes some giant creatures. Like, Urza Saga is an incredible grindy card that just gives you a ton of value as the game progresses. None of it does anything against Sprite Dragon or Stormwing Entity. Like, those cards just kill you over top of it. I and, and there's other types of prowess decks that people are playing. I think the the prowess deck from last month is still really good. Mm -hmm. uh, just like Spark Dragon, Storming Entities, Express Federation, that kind of deal. Uh, but I've also seen like Dragon's Rates Channeler being added into the mix, which I don't really think you need to do for like the normal prowess deck. Uh, but it has impressed me in some spots, like where you're trying to be a Luris deck. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've seen it also fueling up Murktide Regent which is cute. I don't know if it's good because all the Murktide Regent Dragon Chandler decks I've seen thus far have also been Delver of Secrets decks, and Delver of Secrets is a horrendous card. It's just unplayable. I don't think you need to play Delver in those decks. Like, you can play Raghavan as another one-drop. You can not play another one-drop. Like, you can be more focused on, like, I'm going to counter a spell, disrupt you a little bit, play a two-mana threat here where I have a spot to, and then it will kill you. Murktide Regent just kills you. Like, like that can be your game plan. Yeah, I, I think so too. Dragon Sage Chain is activated, or not it's activated ability, it's trigger. It's so good. It's really strong. It's absurd. Really strong. Like, I kind of, I knew it was there, but I kind of overlooked it when evaluating the card. But seeing it play out, mm -hmm. you just get so much selection out of it. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty crazy. It's a pretty wild card. I Yeah, I love Channeler. I, I think it's just going to pop up way more I, I guess depending on your evaluation of it but way more than you might expect card card is pretty good um we should talk about what i think is clearly at this moment like the deck to beat in the format which is amulet 
Okay. I think Urza Saga just gave that deck more amulets, and it's a deck that has a vast gap between its win percentage when it has an amulet in play and it doesn't have an amulet in play. And the play of turn one Urza Saga, turn three, get an amulet and kill you, is real. Like, that's a real part of the deck now. It has more hands with an amulet in it, and uh, that makes the deck really good. Uh, it's similar to Aetherfile decks, where your games with and without Aetherfile are just significantly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cranked up with Amulet of Vigor because of the way the card functions to essentially boost you turns ahead. Yeah. Yep. And I also think most of the Amulet decks I've seen are not... The builds are all over the place. There's not like a solidified one true build right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are playing Sakur Tribe Scout, which I don't actually think is very good right now. Uh, it has synergy with Urza Saga because you can play a bounce line in response to the third trigger. Right. So that's like neat. But when your guy gets lava darted, it's horrendous. Well, there's a solid set of the format that basically all of the aggressive decks either are prowess decks and have lava dart or they're kind of mid-rangey decks that have ragavan in them and in both of those cases arboreal grazer is just the king right grazer is excellent even if they don't have lava dart specifically uh lightning bolt the card is often not very good against amulet Mm -hmm. because you, you can't kill primeval titans unless you've got two of them right so you're gonna throw a lightning bolt at the first grazer or excuse me the first uh Scout, Scout yeah. or Azusa or whatever, and you often can't do it to Azusa before she gets her land drops in. Mm-hmm. I can't do it at Dryad at all. So just replace your Scouts with Grazers, which do all this blocking, and even if they get bolted down just so you can opponent can clear the way, it does its thing. Yeah. Like, it's already done its thing. You know, we also see decks that, you know, like these Cascade decks that are running Stomp and Fire Ice, or Bone Crusher Giant and Fire and Ice. Mm-hmm. And giving them a target where otherwise your deck kind of wouldn't have targets for those. Uh, not my favorite thing to do. So I think I am still a Grazer man right now. I'm a little bit surprised by the numbers of Karn the Great creators. Very, like, only like one of these. The Amulet is the most represented deck in these challenges, in these challenge top 32s. Uh, and only like one of the, you know, five lists on the first day, three on the second day. I think there's only like one or two of those lists that are Karn the Great Creator versions. You know, my inclination was like, play Karn the Great Creator because it's really good in the food matchup. Just stony silencing their artifacts is is powerful. But you might just not need that with the consistency that you now have. Like, backup plans are less important when you have eight amulets in your deck. I agree. I also don't think the food deck is as strong as it's like coming out of the gate implied it to be right i agree and one thing that surprised me even more than the card the great creators in the uh amulet decks is that there's how many amulet decks do we have in these top eights there is five in one of them and well five in the top 32 on saturday but there's and there's two in the top eight and then there's three in the 32 on sunday i don't know exactly i don't remember exactly how many in the top eight of that so about 10 amulet decks between 60 decks of these 10 decks there are zero copies of abundant harvest which is very odd to me yes i've heard 
a couple dissenting opinions on this card. I don't remember who it said, who said this, someone on Twitter that I respect, but I don't want to give it a name because I don't remember. Uh, they said they didn't like Abundant Harvest in Amulet because when you choose non-land, you can you have a wide range of non-land cards and you really just want Titan mm-hmm. or Summoner's Pact. Mm-hmm. And hitting a non-version of those cards with your Abundant Harvest is really bad, typically. On the other hand, I've watched Canister stream Amulet a couple times, and he's really high on Abundant Harvest mm-hmm. because it gives the deck just a big boost in consistency. Yeah. Even if you're not, even if Once Upon a Time is way better because you can dig for what you're looking for more consistently. Uh, the fact that you can keep a relatively land heavy hand and Abundant Harvest in your like 30 land deck and just bottom four cards before you find a card is actually pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Well, and most of your spells are good if you have a bunch of lands. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, obviously Titan is the one that you want, but Azusa is good, Dryad is good, Arboreal Grazer is good. Like, the spells are good when you have a lot of lands because the deck has a lot of lands. I, I and, am, and it's it's also not just that the spells aren't always what you want of a bunch of hearts, right? It's also he a fixer. Uh, if you keep a really like spell heavy hand yeah of course you can get your lands just like ancient stirrings always does yeah no i i'm just addressing the like the spells aren't interchangeable the lands aren't you know like abundant harvest is certainly at its best when kind of like your spells all do similar-ish stuff like you'd be happy with any spell here or you'd be happy with any land here and amulet certainly falls in that spectrum where like your spells you have enablers for primeval titan and then you have primeval titans so that kind of a dichotomy there. And then your lands, you have like utility lands, bounce land. You know, there's your lands are definitely not just lands and amulet. So I like I get the argument, but I would I, I mean, I still lean heavily towards like harvest has to be good in amulet, right? I, I've literally only seen one person play it and it's canister. None of these decks that these 11 amulet decks and the challenges have any copies of abundant harvest. It just seems like people aren't trying the card out mm-hmm. because you'd expect even if people are just trying the card out, the shell of Amulet is so strong that they would just win a bunch of games anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as cantrips tend to be, it is an unsexy card on its face and the things that it provides to your games are not always immediately obvious. Like, oh, I won this game because of Preordain is sometimes tough to really parse. I think it's a little more so with Abundant Harvest because you're not, like, you don't have that active decision-making process that you do with a Ponder or a Preordain, and so it, it's a little tougher to see the impact of it on a game. And and we're, we're seeing that, like, looking through the, both of these challenges, the only Abundant Harvests are in this one... Soul Herder decks? Yeah, just this one Soul Herder deck, and then I think the exact same list on the next exact weekend. same player yeah it's exact yeah. same player exact same list uh but this player this is cft soc3 i think some really really smart calls with this list and so i i would be inclined to trust their abundant harvest choice for the deck this is a non-yorion list like obviously like the go-to if you're playing a blink deck is let me play yorion it's so good and i have so many targets that i want to get but this is just so such a disciplined list despite having a ton of one ofs 
but this is a four Eladomri's call deck. There's bullets. There's like absolute annihilating kill your opponent cards like Sanctifier Envec in the main deck. Uh, Stonehorn Dignitary, which I think is like fantastic. Modern is an entirely combat-based format right now. So I I love this list. Four Teferi Time Ravelers, which are not your go-to in your Aether Vial Blink deck, but it's a really good card right now. Uh, a lot of smart decisions in this deck, and this is one of my favorites from the challenges. I, I think Teferi Tie Raveler is a supernatural fit for these kind of decks, uh, even when it's not, you know, super compelling. You want to play more synergistic cards. Everybody just wants to play all of the blink creatures that they can possibly play in these decks. But Teferi does synergize with your come-to-play mm-hmm. creatures. You can just bounce, you can pick them up. Mm-hmm. It also does a ton of work just destroying your opponent you've i'm sure you felt it every time you have to fairy time reveler in play or your opponent does you're just restricted in what you can do fundamentally yeah and it's also a hate card in multiple matchups right now like cascade there's there's two different good cascade decks in the format and one bad cascade deck living end completely defensible three copies in the top 32 on saturday uh the rhinos deck shows up plenty and you can't cascade if there's a Teferi in play. And then there's the Glimpse of Tomorrow deck, which is, I don't believe, I think that's a fundamentally <laughs> unplayable deck. But So I have seen these decks. They look so bad. Right. It is hilarious. It's one of those decks where like the first draft of Tybalt's Trickery was just, all right, we're just going to throw 16 Eldrazi in this deck and call it a day. We're just going to high roll it. Not realizing that, you know, it's not ideal to play a deck where you can just have six Eldrazi in your opening hand. <laughs> That's what the Omniscience is for. Yeah, I'd want to have one of those mm-hmm. in my opening hand instead, you know? So I think that deck fundamentally fails the, uh, the do you have playable cards in your deck uh, kind of check. Y- yeah, there's two. The concept of, like, I'm going to play Ley Lines in my deck to up my permanence in play count for my Cascade... So that I'm looking at more cards to hopefully hit an Eldrazi when I cascade into Glint. It's just like a fundament, like the concept of the deck is painful to me. And you have so many cards that are entirely focused on being part of your plan. Like a huge amount of your deck space is taken up by Ley Lines and Eldrazi and then Cascaders and Glimpse of Tomorrow when your opponent does put a Teferi into play and then has Force of Negation up, it's literally, you you don't have any options. You're just done. There was one, a Glimpse of Tomorrow deck, I believe, placed in a challenge. Uh, it was just Ari Lax's version, which is an Aspertool version that actually plays creatures and permanents in like a game plan. <laughs> yeah, I think which that will... probably was last weekend. I don't believe there are any from this past weekend. Well, I did see like Ari's deck place, which is just like, and as we're told, Glimpse of Nature mm-hmm. or Glimpse of Tomorrow deck, you just try to play actual permanents yeah. and not have your deck full of Eldrazi. That's more reasonable. I still think that deck's more of a meme than a like a real deck. I, I think so too. I, I mean, the trick with these things is always like put cards, put magic cards in them. Don't put like poker cards and, you know, baseball cards. You have to draw your cards and not just want to put your deck in a trash can and draw from the tournament (laughs) that's why the other cascade decks are good though yeah in particular the rhinos deck like there's nothing that you dislike drawing in that deck you can draw your 
your your rhinos and you just suspend it for a green and then the game's gonna go and at some point your those rhinos are gonna come into play and that deck also has a silly little uh turn three all right here's my 10 power kind of draw yeah which is super threatening i i mean this is a place where like shardless agent is significantly better than the other cascade ones it's just you go from eight power to 10 power and that is a little bit harder for them to deal with and the deck is not bad it definitely can lose on board because the thing you're doing isn't it's it's very capped but you can also just kill a thing or counter a spell and then make two four fours and then make two more four fours and that's that's really and because good. those decks play fire and ice too mm-hmm. if they've got like a reality smasher or whatever on defense so you don't really have profitable attacks you can just ice down the reality smasher discard your card and just crack in for a bunch of damage yeah uh it does make me really happy you know i was always bummed that footfalls the rhinos didn't have haste because it like worked differently from suspend creatures but i'm really really glad that you can't just <laughs> turn three put two four fours into play attack that's that's good. Vengevine vibes. Yes. Real big Vengevine vibes. Yeah, that would be unacceptable. And the Living End decks look pretty fine as well. I think that they're probably, you know, they're going to go in and out, but the power level of the deck is completely acceptable. You know, you've just got a Force of Negation and maybe a uh, Subtlety deck, lots of blue cards. And I think it was, I think it might have been Nasif. Yeah, Nasif played a version to ninth place on Saturday that actually leaned a little bit more towards black by playing Architects of Will as one of the cyclers, and that gives you just enough to play Grief in the deck as well, which you don't quite have enough black cards to make it perfect, but Grief is just an absurd magic card in this show. Yeah, it even gets better when you're allowed to board in like very macabre from mm-hmm. your sideboard. Yeah, a personal favorite magic the gathering card of mine but yeah your your black cards are architects street wraith and your living ends oh uh, yeah black but not a mana cost yeah as opposed to things like the eldrazi which have the mana cost but aren't the right colors for grief eldrazi or solitude. Displacer, yeah eldrazi displacer you cannot exile the solitude so i don't know that this build that nasif is playing is better but it does have a deep appeal to me playing that, like getting to play the discard spell. A lot of the misevaluation of grief, I think, has come from the fact that you can play Thoughtseize in modern and you can play Inquisition of Kozilek in modern. And as long as you can spare that one mana, which a lot of decks are fine doing, if you're a Tarmogoyf deck, there's not a big difference between Thoughtseize turn one Tarmogoyf and a hand with grief and Tarmogoyf, like, are you going to use that mana on turn one, or do you just want to Thoughtseize him? But, like, a deck like Living End, where you just aren't allowed to play Thoughtseize, you're very happy to play a card like Grief, and then it has additional synergies with the combo itself. Yeah, it's worth reminding people that Grief is Unmask. Mm-hmm. It's not Thoughtseize. Right. Like, it, it's a significant cost if you want to cast a spell for free, so it's really good if you're trying to force through something and then immediately win the game with that card you force through. Yep, yep. Like Living End does. Exactly. And it's less good in the Ephemerate shells. Like, Ephemerate at least you're trying to, like, high roll a combo together yeah. with Grief Ephemerate. Uh, the problem is when you aren't really doing that, your Griefs are pretty bad. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't hate it in... I mean, there was one of those in one of these challenges. Let me see. Yeah, but can... for like how hyped that particular combination was, especially with Balakir right. Rebirth, it just doesn't... It's not coming to fruition. This one build with a couple of persists as some of your black cards in the deck, I think that, you know, this build is way closer than some of the more all-in versions of the black-white deck. And one of the cool things is... I mean, most of these are going to be Stoneforge Mystic decks, but a, a really good interaction here is that protecting your Stoneforge Mystic actually, like, really rules now because you badly want to untap with it to get your culture complete into play. So having the Malakir Rebirth or Undying... Oh my god, this list has a full 11 copies of these one-mana spells to combo with Grief or Solitude. Four Ephemerate, four Malakir Rebirth, three Undying Evil... Uh, that's, I mean, Malakari Birth is technically also a land, but that is definitely commitment to, but I mean, you've got four copies of each, so I, I totally get it. For once, I just prefer the more clean Death and Texas lists than trying to do fancy stuff with Grief. Mm -hmm. Mostly for completion of game plan purposes. Sure. Like you still get to play Solitude in the Death and Texas decks. Yeah. You just don't have to like worry about drawing Undying Evil, you know? Yeah, there's definitely... A fair amount of spots where Undying Evil is... Like, you're going to board that out in some matchups. It's not going to be at its best in other places. Yeah, this is pretty all-in, though, on the... Either Grief or Solitude are going to be good in the matchup. I'm going to run four Charming Prince and two Flicker Wisp. And, uh, but the Persists I do really like in combo with these mm -hmm. Elementals. I think that that is dope. Wait, I don't remember if it was in this challenge or if I just was browsing it, but I did see a kind of mid-range white black deck that was put i think it's just five of the league and someone was talking about it uh but it was just like a, a white black kind of mid-rangey deck with stone torch mystic that also had a persist package mm -hmm. like a really small one and that was kind of interesting yeah i would like to see more not so all in persist persist just showing up in lists sure yep and i mean it ups your black count and it's good with most of your creatures and it just has like a little more utility now than Unearth ever did. So, I mean, we weren't building black-white versions of these decks anyways. So we never had a chance to try to run Unearth in those. But persisting a Skyclave Apparition is a totally fine way to double spell on your turn. And then you have a real Skyclave Apparition in play that you can blink or whatever. So lots of good stuff to do. Um, in general, I think, you know, we have these broad categories of decks and nobody can agree yet on what is the right way to build ephemerate decks, but ephemerate decks in general are just good. Like yeah. they just have a spot and solitude is a huge upgrade to every type of ephemerate deck. I should have called out ephemerate as like one of the better cards in modern horizons when we were talking about it mm -hmm. a little while ago, that card is just poised to get better and better and better over time. Mm -hmm. And it's at such a good rate. Yeah, and I think it promotes like a really positive addition to the format that would be hard to exist otherwise. Just a grindy creature-based strategy right. with like a bunch of everybody's favorite creatures, really. Most of the decks you see with like 23 creatures that are all one-ofs, mm -hmm. in the past they've all just been combo decks yeah. or toolbox decks. And the presence of ephemerate makes you want to play a bunch of different creatures 
but you're not explicitly playing them for the purpose of uh, I'm going to assemble three of them and kill my opponent immediately. Right. Which is neat. I, I think that's really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've seen a lot more success of the like various Elodomri's call versions of these decks, whether it's like, you know, this Bant Soul Herder deck is an Elodomri's call deck, or the Omnath based ones are, you know, mo- a lot of these have, pretty much all of them have four Elodomri's calls. I think there is an alternate way that you can go and you can have Imperial Recruiter be your tutor. That's probably fine. It's just in kind of a weird color. I think a lot of it depends on like how good is Magus of the Moon. And then if Magus of the Moon outweighs all of the cards from like some color, can like maybe we just cut the white out from the deck and play Magus of the Moon, then that becomes pretty good. Also, you get to kind of for free include uh, Kiki combo in your deck. So that's nice too. I think that's mostly a trap though. Like I think those cards are not good. That's probably and fair. And you'd rather not play them. <laughs> just, uh, but I actually do think Magus is quite good right now. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of how good Amulet is. Yeah. Like, the more Blood Moons you can play in your deck, the better you are going to be against Amulet. And just Urza Saga in general. Mm-hmm. Because of the weird... I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. Because of the weird way Sagas interact with Blood Moon. Mm-hmm. If something comes out and makes Urza Saga a mountain or an island for Spreading Seas, it just immediately dies. Yep. It is still a saga, but it has no chapters, so it has more counters on it than it has chapters, so it dies immediately. Yep. So yeah, Blood Moon is better against Amulet than probably it ever has been, and then has additional applicability because other decks are running and possibly relying on Urza Saga, so... Like, Lantern has seen a big uptick in play. It's not really in these challenges, but I have seen a astonishing amount of lantern being played around on magic online yeah i mean zam thinks and it's the best deck in the format so i, I do think it's quite good mm-hmm. i'm not willing to give it best deck in the, i don't think any deck is really the best deck in the format right now i think it's too early to call right but what it basically did is that you get to run a land that does war of invention instead of war of invention which is huge that's so war good of invention was one of the worst cards in the deck yeah but you needed it for consistency or you only have four amulets otherwise, but now you can just play Urza Saga on turn one or two, and it, I, I watched Zan playing it, and he kept a hand that was like two spells, four lands. His opponent thought seized one of his spells, and he just played Urza Saga, Urza Saga, and easily won because it put together the combo and then put blockers on the board, and then he locked his opponent out of the game. And Magus of the Moon is also extremely good against Lantern. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> Which it doesn't seem like it could be, but it, it really is. Yeah, I mean, it shuts down inventors' fairs and their sagas and just... And they're actually pretty mana-intensive, and they're also in Snaring Bridge decks. Mm-hmm. So if they have, like, an Assassin's Trophy on their hand and don't have any green or black sources, there's no more Mox Opals anymore. Right. So making colored mana is not free. You could just, like, strand their hand and attack them through their bridge. Yeah. Bridge is pretty good right now, generally. I think it has a yes. solid place because the format is so combat based. Uh, you die to creature damage ninety percent of the games that you play, I think, and it's just like Jace's the other ten percent of the time. What about Yawgmoth? That's a that's a deck that shows up in the challenges. That's true. Sabi played it in one of these, didn't he? That's true. You can get comboed out by Yawgmoth. That exists. Yeah, but for the most part, you're just. Oh, can we? Can I 
while I'm on this weird tangent, I want to talk about the Ad Nauseam deck. Yes. I need to find it. Because it's in the Sunday Challenge, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. So Ad Nauseam by uh, Mish Polovsky, a premier Ad Nauseam player, played this deck forever, mm-hmm. uh, has four Profane Tutors in it, yeah. which is perfect. It's really this good. This is like deck. the perfect yeah. deck for that card. For sure. When you suspend it on turn two, no, no, just the timing is like exactly right, pretty much. Also, this is one of the decks that I, I've seen. I haven't played a lot of Ad Nauseam myself in Modern, but I have watched a lot. I've teamed with a, per, a player who just loves playing Ad Nauseam. has been playing it forever. And one of the problems that that deck has had is when you just suspend your Lotus Bloom and you don't have your one of the pieces you're missing, either the Ad Nauseam or the Protection Spell. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of wait for it to appear. Yeah. Because your card selection is not very good. So just putting in four tutors, four actual tutors that are essentially free the turn you go off is pretty huge. Right. Because it unsuspends the same turn as your Lotus Bloom. So that's kind of nice. It is a little awkward because turn two is also when you want to do Pentad Prism. But you can do Pentad Prism turn three and then do your stuff you can also suspend your like you can just keep lotus bloom in play if you need to Mm -hmm. and suspend the profane tutor on turn three yeah it's just you know when you have your opening hand that has profane tutor and lotus bloom in it it's not like oh shoot like how do i sequence? it's like okay yes the sequence like makes sense it fits all right we can talk about non-ad nauseum decks i just wanted to point out that i really like profane tutor well i mean this has a place ad nauseum is never going to be a the dominant deck for weeks on end in modern but if everybody is you know modern is a creature heavy format right now we're talking about how good ensnaring bridge and stuff is if people are like leaning towards that you can just win on the stack that is a possibility and something that you should be open to to exploit a format i will say if you want to if you're trying to beat in lanterns and snaring bridges ad nauseum is not the deck <laughs> no, you should play it's not good against please do not play the it. thought seize lock out your draw step deck that's not not what you want to do yeah that's not ideal i want to remark this this is remarkable i believe so on saturday basically no thought seize fatal push type decks you know, the mid-rangey decks that we see are like these, is it, quote, Delver decks? That I mean, they're Raghavan, Dragon Rage, Channeler type decks. We're not seeing like anything like particularly Jundi. We're not even seeing any Death Shadow. Go on to Sunday, and we just have one of literally every variety here. We've got Arakto's Shadow, Arakto's mid-range deck that has no Luris. It's running Liliana's. Uh, we've got... A Rakdos Luris deck that's not a Death Shadow version of the deck and doesn't have Scourge of the Skyclaves. We've got a Jun Shadow deck, a Sultai Shadow deck, a Grixis Shadow deck, and one Boomer Jun deck. The Fatal Push decks came out to play on Sunday, and one of every there's there's not a single unrepresented one in this top thirty two. That's every one you could think of. They also came out for seemingly no reason because Sunday's decks were all like Amulet Mill. Yogmoth food. <laughs> it's just like, what are you fatal pushing? But they're doing fine. Yeah, yeah, they top eight it or top thirty two. Excuse me. I mean, they're I, still perfectly reasonable decks, except for Boomer Gen. I think that's not a reasonable deck. They may have smashed like a bunch of the decks from like Saturday, 
You know, like, no Crashing Footfalls decks showed up on Sunday. And, uh, like, Fatal Pushing those Rhinos is actually a pretty real plan because that's the main thing that they're doing and the rest of their cards are kind of clunky. If you're doing efficient stuff and then Fatal Pushing their Rhinos, they're not actually going to kill you before your Death Shadow just works them. Which is, side note, why I largely prefer Living End as the Cascade deck of choice. Mm -hmm. Because people are just boarding in Chalice of the Void to stop Cascade free spells. Yeah. You might as well play the one that's just stronger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reasonable amount of graveyard to hate too, and like Urza Saga can get a relic and stuff. So a lot of people in white decks are playing Sanctifier and Vec instead of Rest in Peace, Ooh, and, and Living and End like is we talked about last week, pretty good it's just that. all blue creatures. That is true. So I don't really know which one of these Thoughtseize Fatal Push decks is best. My gut Ooh. is having me lean towards, like, the no Death Shadow Rakdos deck with Luris, because I'm scared of Solitude. There's not a ton of Solitudes in these lists, but they're in some of the best decks in some of your hardest matchups. The, the Blink decks, which maybe you just give that matchup up and you play Death Shadow. Like, that could be a possibility. But... I don't think you're... I mean, your threats certainly kill more slowly when they are not Death Shadows, but the threats are not bad when they're Raghavan, Dragon's Rage, Channeler, Voidwalker. Like, these are really useful cards that can help lock your opponent out of the game and make your cards that you draw the right cards, and then you have Luris. So I am a fan of this, like, no Shadow, Rakdos, Luris deck. I like that one the most, too. Like, especially because you get to play Raghavan, mm -hmm. which makes playing Luris very enticing. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes a lot easier to, to put that card in your hand and then cast it when you have extra mana lying around. Yep. And I, I don't know. It, it just seems like the most complete package. You're the least... Your individual card quality is higher than a Death Shadow, because even though Death Shadow's card quality is high, because of what a deck in Modern, mm -hmm. uh, you still have to like devote some of your deck to damaging yourself to put your death shadows into play and that, that could be undone by poor draws like sometimes you don't try to fetch lands i've seen that happen a couple times where you just stumble for a turn where you really need to get death shadow to play or you're playing a solitude mm -hmm. not having to deal with any of that is a benefit and then you just get to play a bunch of blood moons too yeah turning off the luris plan in order to have blood moons that beat your opponent is completely acceptable and i'm for it I, I just board in the Luris if you still want to play with it and your blood. Sure. That's allowed. That is allowed. And if you got Raghavan, you can like cast a bunch of three drops like really easily. Mm -hmm. And these decks are, you know, this is the best way to connect with Raghavan. Are you the most likely to get a treasure on turn two after you play a Raghavan on turn one compared with any of the other Raghavan lists? I will say that I don't like Dragon's Rage Chandler in this kind of deck. I like playing it a little slower because... I I value making your opponent's removal a little more stretched or dead and having like two one drops that are kind of one toughness equally mm -hmm. vulnerable is not something I like. I like the lists that play uh, more seasoned Pyromancers, Dread Order Arcanists, or Magmatic Chandlers a little more. And Pyromancer is not a Luris deck. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can play. Like, that's another way you can go. Yeah, I mean, I do like having more one drops. And if you're worried about, like, Lava Dart, you're allowed to wait to play Channeler until it has three toughness. Delirium. Mm -hmm. That's true. And 
it it actually does function really well in these decks because they are Misha's Bobble decks and with Kroxa, yeah. yeah. Rarely more than like two copies of Kroxa, but still, like milling it is so much better than drawing it if you've got it in your deck. I don't like Channeler is just really impressed me, and then having also the ability to, if you have a Dragon Race Channeler with flying and a Dothy Voidwalker with shadow, you can outrace like their Urza's sagas making constructs. Like you'll you might kill them before their constructs are too big to handle. And you're gonna have to because those creatures can't block. Right, but that's <laughs> not you're, you're trying to fatal push those bad boys. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I mean several Yogmoth decks. I guess mostly no two on Saturday and three on Sunday. Like Yagamoth is doing just fine. That's that's good representation. I want to call out Grist, the Hunger Tide in that deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have heard everyone's playing at least one copy of that card, uh, mostly because it's kind of free. You can just try it out. Yeah. I know Dom played Yagamoth on one of these days. I think it was Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And he posted that he. Grist was there and available, but he never really felt like it had a place and he never really wanted it. But at the same time, I think the highest placing Yagmoth player of the weekend who got third in the Saturday challenge was just playing two of them. Mm-hmm. So he valued it even more as a like not just a tutor target, it was like a card he wanted to draw. Yeah. I th- Which is interesting to me. I think when you don't have a really uh, a hand that is lasering towards the combo. This is one of your best turn two plays off of a birds or a, an ignoble hierarchy. Ignoble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's just sitting there doing something and then your opponent has to deal with it while you assemble the pieces for your combo. So I like that makes a lot of sense to me is maybe you just don't tutor for it that much unless there's a specific there's a Teferi in play on the other side or something like that. But you really don't mind having it in your opening hand. Because in actual gameplay, if you're not actually setting up the combo, like turn one Ignoble Hierarch, turn two Geralt's Messenger is not good. You know, you're now threatening to combo them with stuff pretty soon, but that on its own isn't like killing anybody. No, Geralt's Messenger is sadly never been a, a modern powerhouse. Right. Boy, yeah, Ignoble Hierarch makes this deck a lot better. Well, yeah, this is a deck that maxed out on Birds of Paradise because it just wanted to have black mana yeah. and green mana and about equal measures. Yeah, and, and you get to upgrade. Yeah. Ignoble Hierarch, excellent. Attack with Stringergeist for three on turn two. Nice. Well, I mean, like, Ignoble Hierarch into Geralt's Messenger isn't, you know, it's not that impressive, but, like, Birds of Paradise into Geralt's Messenger is, like, really unimpressive. Uh, the first time I played against uh, Geralt's Messenger in Modern, this was before Yogmoth was printed, I my opponent hit me for two, you know, with the trigger, and then I killed them the next turn with KCI. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was definitely not the time for Geralt's Messenger. So the card by itself has never been very good. So you're really just trying to... And that is why I like Grist, though. I, I haven't seen this deck play with Grist in On the Battlefield yet. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine it, it's pretty good at just bridging you to gain more time to draw your combo stuff. Yeah. And, like, if the vast majority of modern decks are killing you in the combat step, 
I, this deck is reasonable at blocking anyways, but that means that this Planeswalker is doing something in a lot of matchups. Each turn it is having an effect on the game. I wonder if this card's good enough to go up to three of, if that's too many three drops. I think maybe we cut one of the cards to play third Grist. I, I don't know. I, I don't have enough practice with Yawbon to, to say for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll just have to fix that. Can we talk about uh, this Miracles deck that's right under Dom's deck on Saturday? 21st is place. This is the four Brainstone yeah, deck. Yeah, this is the four Brainstone deck. It's fine. Yeah, it's I, I'm, fine. I'm not a huge proponent of blue white control in general, but I do think Brainstone is actually quite good in these style of decks. Mostly because you can get it with Urza Saga, which this deck isn't playing, which I think is a bit of a leak. Uh, yeah, that seems like a spew. Uh, but it, as long as you're brainstoning with Terminus, that's perfectly reasonable. Just come on, th throw some Urza Sagas in there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this concept lives and dies exactly on how good is Terminus right now. And I think Terminus yeah. is really good right now. So, Especially against the deck... Like we were just talking about, it's very good against Yogmoth. Yes, you're right. If they don't have exactly Yogmoth in play, and even then, like all they get to do is draw cards, and if they don't have the combo already, but yeah, brutal. And you know, it's great against Amulet. It's great against Construct heavy boards. Uh, yeah, it's good. This would change a million things. But if we still had Mystic Sanctuary, like. I think a ter Terminus decks would be all over the place right now. Like, it would just be the thing to do to address these creature decks. You have to work a lot yeah. harder right now and play cards like Brainstone, but Brainstone's a little easier than anything we had to do before to make Terminus work. Yeah, I don't I don't think Brainstone is that bad. I think it's like, it's pretty... not a good rate, but it is... If you're getting, like, a five cost reduction on a Terminus mm -hmm. at instant speed, you just, like, put up with it, you know? It's, like, not that bad of a card to crack. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty bad, and it's hard to get... I guess this is a four-opt deck, so this is definitely optimized to, like, try to Terminus you on my schedule. Yeah. I mean, it also has three Castle of Antris, which is dedication if I've ever seen it. <laughs> yeah, that one might... Those ones should probably just, like, just be Ursus Sagas or something. This is also only a 24-land deck. Counting the Seagate Restoration. I think you can cut two lands and add four Urza Sagas and cut two spells or something like that. And it's just a a, a better deck after that. A Castle of Antris is not an impressive card, even if you're Terminusing. Right. Uh, can we talk about the Stoneblade decks, though? Especially the one that got first place in the Sunday Challenge? Because it's one I really like. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, mostly because this is Jeskai Stoneblade. It's, it's Monkey Blade. Because it's got four Raghavans, four Stone Fortress mm -hmm. sticks, and then just interaction spells. Oh, this won the Saturday challenge, just to. Yes. In case anybody was looking for the list. Yeah, no, this deck rules. I just. Raghavan powering out your interaction while. So you could just stockpile treasures in this deck. You can. Because. Mm -hmm. Raghavan draws removal that you want them to not use on your Stone Fortress Mystic. Because now that you have Cauldre complete, uh, if Ragavan hits a removal spell, you play Stoneforge right after. They might not have another one, and Cauldre just kills them yeah. in pretty short order. Uh, if they don't have removal spells or they save it for Stoneforge Mystic, you can accumulate treasure and then use your Planeswalkers plus just casting equipment while leaving up an extra 
remove or uh, interaction mm-hmm. like counter spells. And if you manage to get a sword on the board instead of cauldron complete because you didn't go for you, you just had to read that your opponent was going to kill stone torch mystic. Yeah. You just suit Ragavan up with a Sword of Beast and Famine. Just start casting their spells you get off the top of their library, untapping all your lands. It's <laughs> it's great. This is also a deck that is significantly powered up by the printing of Counterspell into the format. We've seen a lot of Counterspell decks in these decks. And Prismatic Ending, actually. And yeah, I was going to say that too. Prismatic Ending is just a huge bonus here. Uh, you, you deal with anything. It's looked really good every time somebody's cast it. The four lightning bolts are given because you're already in the Ragavan color, and that's just the best red card in the format, mm-hmm. lightning bolt. And you don't really want to play Path to Exiles because you're trying to leverage your mana advantage that Ragavan just naturally gives mm-hmm. you. So the prismatic endings work really well for that. Yeah, and, and I mean, they just solve a lot of things that your other removal spells kind of wouldn't. So Like Brainstone. Like Brainstone, <laughs> yes. Or like an underworld cookbook or something like that which you know like in in play as more and somebody making foods is actually like a problem for this kind of deck so you kind of you don't want them to accumulate foods because they can sandbag their as more and then when they do cast it and then just like kill all of your stuff that's pretty bad for you you know being able to answer different types of permanence is just really really powerful <laughs> I think this is the best Stoneforge Mystic deck I've seen that's trying to be like an interactive Stoneforge Mystic deck the way they were in Standard, mm-hmm. or the way people wanted them to be when Uro was legal, and you were just like playing Uro in your Stoneforge Mystic deck when you should just be playing Uro in your Uro deck. Yeah. But here, it, it actually works. Like, there are good Stoneforge Mystic decks that are like blink decks because it's a really good blink target. Yep. And that's just like a different animal. You're doing something completely different with the card. Whereas this one, it's just trying to be a standable threat along with Ragavan. And it works. I think it's just really good. And it won the challenge. And I'm, I was really impressed with this deck list. Yeah. And then Nassif top 16 with it the next day. Slight one or two modifications, but the same deck conceptually in, in most of its slots. Oh, Nassif has the, the sideboard Kozilek because there were a lot of mill decks on Saturday. <laughs> He, he probably that. just ended up like playing against multiple mill decks on Saturday and, and made sure to make that change. I believe it got second. Yeah, it got second on this, uh, this Saturday challenge and the fourth on the Saturday challenge. Oh, yeah, there are two, aren't there? Okay, yeah, yeah. I guess there were two in the top eight of Saturday. So that does make a lot of sense. It's just like, all right, people are going to play mill tomorrow with two in the top eight. So I got to be ready. And then they did not show up on Sunday. Maybe because everyone just had Gaia's Blessings and such in their deck, and they just couldn't top 32. Yep. That's also a possibility. <laughs> Live and die by the mill. Sometimes you mill over a Gaia's Blessing and you die. It's totally possible. Which, side note, I while we're talking about mill, I still think it is a perfectly reasonable deck. It, it's just hated out by very easy to hate. Very easy to co- put cards in your sideboard. Yeah. If the tournament decides to not let mill top 8, you just put a everybody just puts a card in their sideboard that is a free win against mill and then you can't beat them and, and it's not like kozlek is unbeatable like you can theoretically surgical extraction and then mill them again right. it's just that that's so unrealistic it's not worth right like if you think that's going to happen in the tournament just don't play mill yeah and i mean you still lose most of the games are you surgical the kozlek 
Yeah, exactly. Because they're also doing their own thing. They didn't have to spend any mana to cause life. Right. Like you, you mill them out, and they they needed like two more combat steps to kill you a lot of the time. And if they shuffle their graveyard back once, like they're gonna get them. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to talk about the food decks? I don't think we've talked about the food decks. No, thing. we haven't. We definitely should. So you know, people were trying lots of different versions early on. Now we have pretty much cleared it down to green black, primarily because casting finale of devastation for asmore is a really important part of the deck and makes it way better than the other versions just having eight copies of asmore in your deck is a difference maker because one of the most powerful parts of the deck is having this creature that terminates all of your opponent's creatures wild that that's how it works yep it is impressive it's a really powerful deck it's good at grinding it's great at board control it's beatable i don't know like it's just it looked broken and then people adjusted to it a little bit and learned how to play against it and it's it a can deck. be kind of slow yeah its threats can be kind of moopy if you get asmore off the table you can actually beat them in combat pretty reasonably as long as you can like remove the troll the first troll yeah but asmore does need to get off the table or you will never be able to get on the board right and it's pretty good while it is grinding and, like, has killed your stuff. These are all Cauldron Familiar decks, so it's going to just, like, kill you over time, even if it can't really, like, get through. And they, you know, it's obviously an Urza Saga deck as well. Although not all of these Feasting Troll King decks were Urza Saga decks at the beginning. In fact, that was, like, I don't know. I was looking at them and thinking, like, these have to be Urza Saga decks, right? And yes, now 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 they are. It's the only way that makes sense to do it. Why like obviously you play the backup plan that doesn't use the graveyard, doesn't care about discarding or anything, and just wins alternatively. You just make your foods, your constructs get bigger, it's it's all nice and synergistic. Your Urza Saga can tutor up your cookbooks or your cauldrons. And also your Shadow Spear potentially for winning like construct battles or or winning against the red decks which you know this is how you beat prowess is by getting your shadow sphere and then buying your extra turns with that instead of just dying to the sprite dragon that if you don't have an asmore you can't do anything about i did see doomwake is playing a grixis version right now mm. as we're recording this which i just linked to you uh it looks kind of cool it's very different from these black green ones it's not playing like finale of promise it's more urza centric uh and that it's playing ragavan at thought monitor and more artifacts like mox amber so you can like theoretically go turn two urza or turn two thought monitor turn three thought monitor yeah he was playing some versions of this his first ones did not have ragavan in them and i think ragavan is the big i think ragavan's a huge difference right. maker. that's the one that i was excited about if you're gonna do some like emery stuff is you get to go ragavan and emery and mox amber uh you lose mm -hmm. the finale of devastation for asmore but you get a whole different thing i actually think urza is really bad in this deck though i think that i'm not a huge fan of it so far i think he's probably playing it in this version just for the because with mox amber and ragavan you can turbo out so fast mm -hmm. and then just put the rest of your hand into play yeah that's probably a, a big appeal I don't know if it ends up staying in the final version, but I do like the the Ragavan kind of Emery thought monitor stuff if it 
can compete against the green versions. Yes, I that that's definitely the selling point is having Raghavan, Emery, Asmore, Mox Amber as as kind of your core. What I would if if you have Urza in there because it's just like yeah sometimes you have four mana on turn two and this is the best thing. I I think you want Karn the Great Creator in that slot. Okay, yeah, that could be possible. But like pretty much every time he was playing the earlier versions of this kind of thing, every time he had Urza, it's just like you're doing. It didn't matter, right? You're doing the things that Urza is good at already. Urza is great to add a like grindy value proposition to your deck and is really good at doing like a turnaround point in a game where you're the reactive deck but then all of a sudden you play an urza completely switch the cadence of the game your opponent is now on the back foot you have mana up for a counter spell and a giant construct and then you have a card advantage engine going that's what urza does really well and in this deck like that's fundamentally like with ragavan and asmore that's like not really what this deck is about so I would I would love like Karn the Great Creator or something like that as a way to swap game plans from this like kind of grindy value artifact thing into something else into like I got to grab a lock piece I got to deal with the thing my opponent is doing uh, maybe it's not Karn but I think it's not Urza Urza is just like I have so many artifacts of course Urza is good but I'm not sure that that's true that could be fair I. I haven't seen this deck. Like, Doomic's playing on stream now, and I'm not watching it because I'm podcasting. (laughs) But I had seen earlier, like, mostly Sultai versions when we were still doing oven stuff in that sphere. And Urza was really bad in those decks just because it was not on plan at all. Yeah, it's, it's definitely closer in this one. But my inclination is, like, focus on your early game stuff with, like, Raghavan and Emery, Asmore and cat of or asmore and co give you a grindy thing to do but like this could i mean urza is a powerful card so and and doomwake's done a ton of work on this category of deck just the food urza saga decks generally he's a streamer he's an entertainer he's got to keep trying the new things and every time he hits something like that's really cool and good for all of us so uh let's see what have not what have we not talked about i think heliod is still like totally acceptable it hasn't changed really, the- which is kind of a bummer, but it's just a solid deck. Nothing really to say there. These lists have no new cards. They don't have any particular like flex slot swaps or anything. They're just the same lists. Cursed Totem does exist now though. So if Heliod ever gets too popular or you just don't like Heliod and you want to have a card against it, that is a perfectly reasonable sideboard card. Yeah, and Cursed Totem in particular is you know it's fine against heliod their combo now adds an extra card because they have to find a skyclave apparition to get rid of it it's like really good against the agamoth it's crazy good against the agamoth it's not that bad against uh asmore either if you need to win on the board because it shuts up asmore Mm -hmm. true but you don't really want to play a two mana artifact it only shuts off yeah yeah, it only shuts off asmore it might as well be putting needle but it's just a card you can board in if you're like targeting yagmoth or heliod or whatever yeah i mean against yagmoth yeah it might as well be pithing needle it's just that pithing needle is a a completely bonkers card against yagmoth well yagmoth usually plays a bunch of mana creatures which cursed items shuts off that's true 
which is that's a good point actually pretty huge that's pretty because gross. if you've ever played against sony silence with artifact lands or moxable you know the feeling of just ha- not having mana sources when you should yeah especially like on the play if they go <laughs> ignoble hierarch and then you just go curse totem or as with heliod like sure you shut down their combo you shut down some of the stuff they can do but one of their mana dorks is utopia's brawl so they might just have a draw that doesn't super care about it until they skyclave apparition it there is one zoo list between these two dumps i don't think zoo is good don't play zoo it's not strong enough i i've seen it so little and the very little i've seen of it has not impressed me Mm -hmm. so far i do think scion of draco is interesting but everything you're playing around is just not good honestly yeah uh, General Ferris, whatever his name is, the the red-white legend that make, pumps out 4-4 four, four golems. Yeah. He has been carrying every time I've yes, seen like, a five-color deck. Completely. <laughs> yeah. And that is, a, honestly, I think the, the pivot you should make. Just try to support him. Don't try to like do five-color stuff. Because triomes are just not good in, in aggressive decks like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think a more mid-rangey build of Niv-Mizzet featuring creatures like you can play a niv mizzet deck that is territorial kavu and general ferris or kirik and niv mizzet and like you know decent multicolor removal spells and stuff and i think that's a way better way to use the general mm-hmm. and a better way to use territorial kavu uh there were a couple spicy is it decks i saw a phoenix deck that was kind of neat it used dragons rage channeler to like put phoenixes in the graveyard with a bunch of cantrips I think that deck is mostly worse than just Browse, but it is sweet. Yeah. I think you can generally do this stuff a little more simply, but I don't despise this deck. This is your creatures are Arclight Phoenix, Dragon Rage Channeler, and Murktide Regent. I, I wonder how much the Murktide Regent kind of carries this thing. It does have two copies of Pyromancer Ascension, which given the I mean, there's still a fair amount. There's a downtick of Heliod. There's still a fair amount of Skyclave Apparitions. All the Blink decks have a ton of Skyclave Apparitions, and getting your Pyromancer Ascension Apparition feels pretty bad most of the time. This is, I think, the deck that I would like to be good. Mm-hmm. Because Murktite Regent, Arclight Phoenix, and Chandler just go together really well. Mm-hmm. But having to play Is It Charm and Faithless Salvaging like this deck Ugh. does is very unappealing. Yeah. Anybody who remembers the very early builds of Arclight Phoenix that had like a copy or two or three of Is It Charm in them, and then every time you drew it, you were just like, oh my god. Like, there's no way to sequence with this card that makes me happy. I drew this card that I put in my deck. How do I dig out of this hole? Yeah, it, it just like <laughs> occupied so much of e- of the turn and did so little when you were doing it. And it was just, like, impossible to triple spell with it included as part of the turn in any reasonable manner. If your opponent, god forbid, your opponent had a Thalia in play and you had an it charm in your hand. It's a three-mana shock. Gonna lose that game. They will just, like, tempo you out after that. I think Faithless Salvaging itself is not that bad, as long as you're discarding, like, specifically Arclay Phoenix. Because <laughs> it is a free spell the next turn. But... Right. It's a pretty bad rate still. It just doesn't really get you there. It's like, yeah, it's a free spell on your third turn. 
but you never had trouble casting three spells on your third turn anyway, so... You don't even need a mana morphos. Like, you can just cast three cantrip, two cantrips and a lightning bolt. Yeah, and it, matter, it would matter way more if you had any counter magic or interaction to, like, leave up. Mm -hmm. But you just kind of don't, so... Yeah. I also, like... This card kind of bums me out. Like, in the limited format, too, it's just, like, really awkwardly costed and placed. Like, sometimes it's good because it has the templating where if you have an empty hand, you draw cards off of it. But, like, in the Madness deck, like, the Black-Red Madness deck, the key common is, a, you know, kind of parody of Wild Mongrel. But it's a black card. It's a 4-3 with discard a card. It gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. It costs three and a black, and it has madness of two and a black. But, like, if you cast Faithless Salvaging on turn two, you can't use it to cast your Mongrel on turn three because it does it during your upkeep. And you can't use it to cast your turn three Mongrel. You can't, like, sandbag it and, like, cast if you cast it on turn three, like, you're not casting a good madness card off of it. So it just, like... Like, yeah, it can be useful and okay, but it just, it's never a part of your opening hands that are like, oh, yeah, this is why we're playing the Madness deck. And yeah. So it just like, it feels like an ugly parody of a good card. It, that's kind of what it is, though. Yeah. It just like feels bad, though. Um, any other decks you want to talk about? Um, anything strike your fancy? I mean, I think we talked about like a lot of the stuff i'm scrolling through and we just have kind of talked about all of this a little bit of humans showing up a little bit of uh oh this list does not have this list has elite spellbinders rather than imperial recruiters probably a personal choice yeah i mean it just depends on what you're trying to do i guess i just lean towards imperial recruiter i guess but i just want more thalia's lieutenants when you want thalia's lieutenants yeah, it's just like the strongest card in the deck, yeah. Yeah. Boy, but yeah, no, we covered a lot. A little bit of burn here. There is. No, burn's always going to be around. Two copies of Flame Even Rift, I... which I cannot get behind. No, I don't I don't think Flame Rift's very good in this format. No, I just, I don't think it's very good in burn. Like, the right. way the burn deck plays out. Oh, because this is mono red burn. I see. No, no, this, this does have Boros Charm. I, yeah, I don't get it. All right. You know what everyone does in modern is attack. Yes. You, and Flame Rift kills you. That, so a secret part of why the burn deck works is because you beat the creature decks a lot of the time. Because you lightning helix them that buys you a combat step. Searing Blaze gets one of their creatures off the table. And then you, when you cast Flame Rift, you die to their next attack. Yeah, that's how it works. Heaven forbid they have a monastery sorcery in play. <laughs> like you're, you're just done. Yes. The only place I've seen Flame Rift where I think it's defensible is if you're playing a very aggressively leaning version of a Death Shadow deck, then I'm I'm pretty down with casting Flame Rift. Sure. I think you mostly don't need to do that. You could just play a card that does something. Uh, yeah, but. I mean, you're a Thoughtseize deck. Be a Thoughtseize deck. Don't be a Flame Rift deck, generally. Just play Dismember. Like, come on. <laughs> but, I mean, there is something in my soul that awakens to the idea of having Scourge of the Skyclave in play, casting <laughs> Flame Rift and attacking with Scourge of the Skyclave. There is no Tron at all. Nope. Neither version, right? Nope. No Eldrazi Tron, no Mono Green Tron, no Charge Tron, no Mono Blue Tron. I... Part of me wants to say 
that some of this is just nobody wants to play Tron when the new cards are here. They want to play with new cards and, and new ideas. Because Tron's pretty good against a lot of these decks. And also, if Zan's claim of Lantern being the best deck is true, then tr- you know what destroys <laughs> Lantern? Like, Tron. not even close. It's Tron. Although, one interaction that is really weird, like Urza Saga then becomes your certainly your game one plan against Tron your is game plan. make constructs. And if the sweeper that they drew is Ugin, that does not kill constructs. Adorable. So I think builds of Tron probably want to adapt. You may just, like, Ugin may not super be the go-to. And certainly all his dust is, is not the thing. There's not as many, you know, Urza Saga is not just proliferated throughout this these dumps. And it's also not... One thing that makes me feel much better about Urza Saga is it's not just being jammed into everything and, like, forcing your deck to become an Urza Saga deck. It's in food, hardened scales, and amulets. And these are decks that, like, are Urza Saga decks. Like, that card is an active Mm -hmm. part of the game plan in all of those decks. It's not just, like, the blue-white control deck with Urza Saga in it that we saw last week. Uh, so that makes me feel a little less like, oh my god, what is Urza Saga doing to this format? I, I'm still concerned the card is extremely good, but uh, it, it's not a, a, a five-alarm fire or whatever right now. Yeah, I, I hope it's just a good part of the modern format and introduces decks to it mm-hmm. rather than being like the Hogek of Urza Saga spheres, you know? I hope so. I like powerful cards that make strategies. Mm-hmm. If they are, like, checked by other powerful decks with powerful strategies. Right. That's why I was, like, a proponent of, before this set, Mox Opal being unbanned. Because mm-hmm. that's what it would essentially do. Yeah. And hopefully we can just have spheres of decks like that exist. Right. And not keep banning the most powerful card if it gets just, like, slightly too strong. And as long as Urza Saga stays in Urza Saga decks, and it's not just, like... We got to adapt pretty much everything to play Urza Saga or else it's not a playable deck in modern if we can't do that, which for, certainly if these dumps are like accurate or at least reflective of what modern the modern philosophy and structure is going to look like. It's not going to be exactly these decks, but we are not doing that with Urza Saga right now. So it, as long as that continues, then Urza Saga seems fine. Mox Opal in particular was very much like it automatically satisfies that. You don't just like make your deck a Mox Opal deck. You have to be an artifact deck. Yeah. You got to put a bunch of bad cards in your deck to like enable a Mox. Yeah. That's your cost. And if your opponent has Ancient Grudge, that's probably really good against you. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Urza Saga right now. I hope it stays the course. I think as long as people want to play with a bunch of colors in their deck, mm-hmm. like jund shadow etc <laughs> even tribal flames like you, you've got a good shot at urza saga just not showing up in huge numbers right there's there's a cost and like you know every time doomwake tried to add a third color to the food deck he started having mana problems you can solve those a little by not counting urza saga as a land so much but part of the strength of it is that you know two of them count as lands basically <laughs> Even if you count them as a spell completely in your deck list, they still do take up a land drop. Mm-hmm. And if they're not contributing to casting any of your spells the turn they come down, right. like if you're really color intensive, 
that land goes away eventually, and you're just like playing at a deficit. Yeah. Unless you're a Mox but, Amber deck, then it turns into a well, land. Then you've, yeah, yeah, you know what I, I mean. I do know what you mean. Whew. I've got a Patreon question if you want to. Yeah, let's do it. Want to do some some fun stuff? I figured we could do an easy one since this was a uh, we had a long a long episode last we time. We did. Uh, so Mike Braverman asks, "What set was the first Magic pack you ever opened?" Probably Nemesis. Probably, huh? So you don't have a good memory. I don't. I don't remember. I think the first Magic pack I ever opened. And I could be wrong. I think the first magic pack I ever opened was a Nemesis pack, and it had Sky Shroud Behemoth as the rare. And I didn't really understand what fading did, but like it was a 10-10. And it was also confusing because I I thought that all creatures came into play tapped when you cast them, because I didn't understand the difference between like summoning sickness and entering tapped. Sky Shroud Behemoth uh-huh. enters the battlefield tapped. So that was really confusing <laughs> to me. Like, why would they put this on the card? And I wasn't smart enough at the time to, like, use that as an indicator. Like, oh, maybe creatures don't come into play tapped. I, so I started playing around Mirrodin, which I was in middle school at the time. So I played in, like, the lunchroom. But I didn't buy packs for a while. Mm-hmm. But I bought pre-cons. Like, they had pre-constructed decks for a long time in Magic. They were, like, 10 bucks or something. There's just 60 cards. They were kind of bad. They had two rares in them. So I remember I had a like a Megatog precon from Iridan. And then when Darksteel came out, I got the modular one, which did not have Arcbound Ravager <laughs> or Arcbound Overseer in it, which are the two best modular rares. And I played with those for a while. And I remember the first like pack I opened was Fifth Dawn. And I opened a Solarion which is a seven drop that looks super cool. It's got really cool mm-hmm. art, but it does nothing. It's like a seven mana card with sunburst. <laughs> so it comes into play with a plus one, plus one counter for each different color of mana you spend on it. And then you can tap it. So you're not attacking with it. You're mm-hmm. tapping it and you can double its counters on it. All of the sunburst creatures, except for like Skyreach Manta, which was, you know, like a good limited card. But like there's a bunch of the rare sunburst creatures. There's like three of them or something, and they're all beautiful and just awful, terrible cards. I think there's only two. There's, there's like the Solarion and Crusher. Suncrusher? Yeah, the Sun Crusher. Maybe maybe that's just the two. But they're they're both just like. And then Engineered Explosives is the the nine creature rare. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I don't have Scryfall up. I think it. I got a notification while we were recording that Scryfall is just down, so I don't. I didn't even bother checking. Oh well, it's not down. I'm just using it right now. Oh, because I'm thinking of Lunar Avenger too. Not a rare, but really, that card is the mod. Really? Oh no, no, that's the one that you remove counters. It gets abilities. Yeah, but it's just like seven mana. And... That card looks like a Power Ranger cyborg. It's neat. It's so cool. Yeah, a lot of the sunburst cards from Thon look super cool. Yeah, because they get as many suns as they possibly can on that on the card. Yeah, all suns Dawn, uh, like the super regrowth that had really good art too, because they just throw all the suns on one card and they're like, "This is this is it. We've done it." Yep, and it looks cool every time. Yeah, I mean, I right. So the thing I'm thinking of is like basically all of the uncommon and rare sunburst creatures are just like wildly atrocious because there's sun crusher and solarion 
And then there's Spinal Parasite, which is a neg- my f- negative one, negative one. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite like trivia card because it's the only negative one, negative one in Magic. Uh, five mana, negative one, negative one. Sunburst comes, so it comes into play with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each color of mana used to pay its cost. Remove two plus one, plus one counters from Spinal Parasite. Remove a counter from target permanent. Awful. Horrible. Like, how how do you ever get this above a 3-3? Getting into a 3-3 costs four different colors of mana. Then you can only activate its terrible ability once, and then you're left with a 1-1 that you paid five mana for. Like, good god. The trick is, the best, like, five color payoffs in 5th Dawn, which they wanted to promote because... They realized in Darksteel Mirrodin development that, the, oh god, these cards we're printing are way too good. We have to do something else. Because mm-hmm. that was like a time frame they could actually make that decision instead of being locked in for a whole year. So they just did this five color thing. And the best five color payoffs in Fifth Dawn, which I know because it was a casual playing the five color payoffs, <laughs> were just the Bringers, which is a cycle of nine mana cards. There's one for each color that you could just pay one of each color of mana to cast them instead of their cost. And then they just did things every upkeep. Yep. Like the blue one drew three cards, the black one vampiric tutored every turn. <laughs> the green one made a 3-3. Three, three. The white one brought back an artifact every turn. The red one threatened. It was just like, yeah, the red one threatened. I couldn't remember. It's kind of the least exciting one, but it still kill them. The, the blue one just draws a million cards. That one's wild. Yeah. <laughs> But none of the actual cards with Sunburst you wanted to play other than, like, Pentat Prism. Because you could kick a Bringers out really early. Yep. Yeah, not not much of a mechanic. I mean, it's neat. Like, they keep printing cards with Converge, like Prismatic Ending. It's just that Sunburst is so limited what it does. Oh, yeah, just not... Right, right. And, and those designs, the, hey, a few more colors of mana and you can do different stuff rather than just like, I'm better the more mana you pump into, the more colors you pump into me. Like, Prismatic Ending Engineered Explosives are like really interesting, fun uses of that mechanic. You know, I am a 5-5 five, five if you have five colors of mana is a much less exciting proposition. Yeah. I... It was one of those mechanics, I think, that paved the way for something else. Yeah. Like the flip cards in Kamigawa. Yeah, yeah. And they just turned into transform cards, one of the best mechanics we've ever had. Yep. Turned it, That itself got turned into double, modal double-faced cards, which are not as good as transform cards, in my opinion. But the pathways are like the best land cycle. Yeah, the actually. fact that we got pathways out of it makes it really important and, and awesome. And the fact that having modal double face cards allowed us to play Gruul, even though the lands just like absolutely don't support it in standard, is I guess good. But I'm still waiting, still waiting for a uh, next rotation. See what lands we have. If we're playing with snarls, I'm just not playing. I, yeah, standard. I just will refuse to. But I'll play modern and paper and historic when I play arena, and that'll just be it. Yep. <laughs> I'll wait until Snarls rotate before I play Standard. I will not play I Snarl. I still can't believe that that's the cycle they gave us. Are you kidding me? Are you out of your goddamn mind? Why? I just like to picture someone in the Watsi boardroom being like, all right, 
there's a lot of cycles that are incomplete in Pioneer. We've really noticed that, you know, a lot of people think the allied lands are a little worse than the enemy lands because we haven't finished a lot of the cycles. So what do you guys think we should, like, which cycle should we finish for the new set? Because we have, a, have to have a land set. Well, I mean, we could so do fast lands, like, p- perhaps the third best dual land in the modern era of magic cards. Like, that's a possibility that we could do and is missing from Pioneer. No, 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 no. Instantly shot down. We cannot do that. There is not a Seacrome Coast on Strixhaven. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. We need somewhere, a location that could actually happen. All right. How about port towns? But what we're going to do is we're going to call them snarls. That sounds fantastic. We're going to call them all snarls. (laughs) And we're going to make the art the same on all of them and we're going to make the flavor text the same on all of them just really punish the players here perfect i love it let's do it wow when did uh the fast lines get so cheap uh when they got reprinted in the expeditions wow that really did it huh i there were a lot of the expeditions yeah. cuz they were handed out on the all of the boxes i believe okay i mean good like i'm really glad but that is like Copperline Gorge was not a six dollar card. Nope, it was certainly not. I, I still do think it's like they're a good play experience that I still want them to be reprinted. It's just not I need them reprinted solely so I don't have to pay eighty dollars to black click list. Yeah, I I was looking that up to see if that was an additional complaint for no, but it it is not. They did a good job of driving those prices down. So credit where credit's due. Black click list still twenty bucks. It's the best one, but it's always going to be a best two color color in the cycle. Yeah. And it's it's just funny to have that big of a gap. It's twenty dollars. Seacrome Coast is five dollars. Guess which ones I own. <laughs> well, I own the ones that go into Dredge. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I own all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think I. I think I own all of the non-blue ones because those are the ones that you actually want the fast land text on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I have played with a fair number of Dark Six Shores and Seacrome Coasts in Modern, but that's because I played a bunch of yeah, pri- like prison decks. Yeah, I didn't care. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, Spire Bluff Canal excluded from the blue fast lands aren't that good <laughs> paradigm. This is a red one. Yeah, it's a, this like, is a red modern. fast land. The Botanical Secret's not that bad either. Like Neoform plays it. Yeah, true. I think that's it. We don't have anything else. We talked about everything there is to talk about in the world. Yeah, as we discussed in the pre-show, we are perfect podcasters, so we know exactly when to stop. Yep, and, and that, all that. that time is now. Yep. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Super, super appreciate it. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much. Have a great week.